This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com and for the first time ever, our very first episode on the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day to everyone listening to us right around the world. Tony Shubeki with you, looking at this week's edition of what's happening in the world of motorsport here in Australia and abroad. Joining me to do that, of course, from the racetalk.com, we say a very good day to Richard Crowell. Hello, Crowley. A very good day to you as well, Shebexter. Nice to be here. Uh, big week in sport. One of the biggest on the Australian motor racing calendar with the Super Loop Adelaide 500 coming up. And that's not just a funky name for the event. It's a, a broadband internet company in Adelaide. So one of the biggest domestic motorsport events on the calendar. Well, it is the biggest domestic motorsport event. 280,000 people will be there over four days. And the start of a really compelling new championship where there's a whole lot of variables and as we'll touch on a little bit later on in the show when we dissect what went on at the test day on Tuesday um, there's a whole nother new set of talking points for this year that are that come on a slightly sad note but but will affect the future of the sport quite significantly so yeah, much to discuss. Yeah, we certainly have. And we'll also do it with our great friend also from the racetalk.com as we say g'day to Dale Rogers. Hello Dale. Hey, Tony and Rich, how are you? Great to be on board again for 2020 and looking forward to this season kicking off. Although it did kick off at the Bathurst 12-hour, it's going to kick off in earnest with the supercars this weekend in Adelaide. So really looking forward to it. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it certainly is. And as Richard said, the Superloop 500, still referred to as Eclipsal. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, well, when you sponsor something for 19 years, um, you, your sponsor name tends to stick. And uh, in Adelaide, we, we don't have time for mucking around with long names. So the Clipsal 500 Adelaide became the Clipsal. Uh, are you going to the Clipsal? Yes, I am. Yeah. And Clipsal, for those that don't know, is an electrical company that make PowerPoints and switches and things like that. Um, it wasn't suggesting a get-together at a PowerPoint. It was a major <laughs> sporting event. But, yeah, the, the new sponsor's got some work to do to claim that kind of brand equity. But uh, the fact that it's sponsored at all is terrific. So no, it's it's one of the great events, isn't it, the Adelaide 500? Yeah. It's It's got so much tradition from its first event in 99 and, um, on one of the most famous bits of straight circuit, oh, I think, in the world. I'm massively parochial and biased towards it, but the, the 11 years of the Australian Grand Prix certainly helped that and so many great memories. And um, it's a terrific racetrack. It's challenging. It's fast. It's demanding. It's got probably three legitimate overtaking opportunities. It's got real high-speed stuff, um, danger, peril, and exasperation like all the great straight circuits do. So... It's such a cool place to start the year and um, start it with a massive bang. And, gee, it's going to be a fair old bang this weekend just with all the stuff that's going on in the sport um, and how it's all going to play out this year with what is really a, a control-alt-delete on the, the Supercars Championship. Yeah, it certainly Tony, is. I, I still have people asking me, am I going to the James Hardy 1000? So <laughs> it does take a while to knock things on the head. So, uh, but, yeah, no, Rich is right. It's, uh, I think one of the great things in Australian motorsport was when uh, – it sadly departed as a Formula One race in 95 and came back in 99, uh, probably bigger and better than ever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just now, other than with Bathurst, it's, it's, it top ends the book, book ends the season. It is a stunning event. Uh, thank God they've dropped those two silly 125s that they played with and it's back to proper racing and two 250k races. Yeah. I guess they've got to try things, but uh, I think this is going to be a cracker. And, uh, Richard, just before we go, 
What is the weather forecast? <laughs> well, uh, bring shorts, but uh, don't worry too much about sweating too much. So um, high 20s, low 30s for all four days. Nice. Uh, it's not last year was an utter furnace. Um, and up until the 12 hour this year, it was the hottest I'd ever been at a racetrack, the Adelaide 500 last year. I think the, the Saturday from memory 12 months ago was 44 or 45 degrees in the shade and absolutely baking. Um, and, and, you know, the, the crowd still turned out regardless and the drivers did their thing under, under great duress. So the, the forecast looks really, really good, which is, which is promising for a great crowd. Um, and, and for good racing too, you don't want it overly hot and it's just, adds another dimension where conditions should be fast lap times with that as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a bit of a relief, I think, for everyone, both those paying to get in the gate, those working there, uh, and those wheeling a 1,400-kilo supercar around one of the most demanding tracks on the calendar. All right, speaking of demanding tracks, uh, the supercars went out for a test day. On Tuesday, as you mentioned, Richard, you were our man there on the spot and they went around the track at Tail and Bend to give themselves every opportunity to see what their cars uh, still require, I suppose, with a couple of days to go to the first practice session at the Superloop 500. Mm. Uh, what was the day like, first of all? A, a success from all reports? Yeah, first time, the official pre-season test where the whole field gets together has been held at the Bend, which was... Terrific, great crowd. Weather was average. It was it was warm, but blowing a gale as it's prone to do out there, and a bit of misty light rain towards the end of the day. So conditions were pretty variable and and quite challenging. It, it's a funny old test, though, boys, because it, it felt like supercars were taking the mick just a little bit when they when they organised this. Because what they've done is they're going, okay, we're going to give you all brand new dampers for every car that you've never used before. This is the first time you get to use them. Then we're going to give you the option of running the soft tyre at the Ben Motorsport Park for the first time. Uh, and that was another complete variable. Uh, PS, we've re-homologated both of your cars, so your aero balance is going to be different. In You've all done a little bit of shakedown running, but that's about it. So you don't know how your car behaves. And by the way, two days later, you're going to be on a bumpy, gnarly, curb-hopping street circuit, which bears exactly no resemblance to the circuit they were testing at at the Bend. So from a test point of view... The learnings they took out of today will be great when they get to the bend in September for the 500. They'll be great when they get to Sydney Motorsport Park and some other fast and flowing circuits will bear zero significance on what happens this weekend, um, barring maybe one or two of the cars at the front, one or two at the very, very back. Outside of that, this is a day that is as impossible to read into the results as any I've seen in the sport because the context of the day is just so completely different from what we're rolling into this weekend on the streets of Adelaide. So it was a funny old day because of that, but quite productive. Everyone, for the most part, turned a lot of laps. A lot of co-drivers were there. It was a really good opportunity with basically pit lane opening at nine and closing at five. It was a great opportunity for co-drivers to bank some meaningful time in the cars early in the year just to get their eye in as well. So Shelby Power Racing had their co-drivers there, Tony D'Alberto, um, Craig Lowndes cut laps and Jamie Wincup's car, Garth Tan did the same in 97. Um, the list goes on and on right throughout the paddock, which was terrific. So really interesting day. That sort of open pit lane. You had um, sections throughout the day where nothing was going on and then really busy moments and a bit of happy hour at the end. So fascinating stuff. But as I said, don't read much into the times at all because it just doesn't give a fair indication of who's where.
Richard, it was interesting to see, although I agree with you, the times don't mean much. There's two things that stood out for me. Is the one that Will Davis and Andre Heimgartner are a great effort from Kelly's getting that car. Uh, I know I had some problems today mm. with, with some parts, but uh, two brand new cars on top of the timesheets. But there were some interesting things on the timing itself. So perhaps you could explain just how that all worked. Yeah, well, first and foremost, your, your point on especially Kelly Racing, uh, that's outstanding. So you can't read much into the time, sure, but relative to everybody else in the same conditions, Kelly Racing were competitive with their two Ford Mustangs. Now, bear in mind, the Castrol car had not turned a lap before to, um, the test day. The Ned Racing car did a 50K 20-lap shakedown at Winton on Sunday, and they drove the truck overnight from Melbourne Monday night to get it to the bend in time for this thing on Tuesday. So as far as being unprepared, that, that is about as good as you're going to yeah. get for a, for a major supercar event. But those cars ran really well. Yes, they had some reliability issues. They had a coil pack fail on Rick's car, and um, for a time they didn't have a spare, so they were swapping it from one car to the other. So one car had eight firing cylinders all at once, which is a bit frustrating, but that's what you get when you're starting a brand-new program from scratch. But those things were fast, and, and they did a really good job. So while the times are irrelevant in the context of the season, against each other, those two cars were quick, and Andre in particular, who I think we've all, as a, as a crew probably got circled as one to watch again this year based on what he achieved last year in the Nissan. Um, yeah, they were great. Secondly, um, Supercars did something interesting and spoke to Campbell Little, the series technical director, about this. Because it's such a long lap at the bend, one minute, 48 second laps, they actually put a second timing beacon rather than just having the traditional one at the start-finish line. They put a second beacon over at turn 13. They're coming up the hill into that final complex that brings them back around in front of the pit building and the long main straight at the Ben Motorsport Park. What that did was mean that they could drive out of pit lane, start a flying lap basically two-thirds of the way into their outlap, do a flying lap, and then peel off into pit lane straight away if they wanted to pit. So you didn't waste an in-lap. And it was I think it would have saved teams 30 laps at, in some instances today on a short run, that in and out, and saving one outlap and one in-lap on a 4.9K circuit is pretty critical. So it's a mileage thing. I thought that was a really smart decision. But what it means was that the timing that we've all seen from the test day, which was timed from the timing line on the, the start-finish line, um, is even more redundant because a lot of people were blazing out, bashing out a lap time, and then peeling straight into pit lane before they crossed the beacon on the start-finish line. So well, these are all the variables. It was a smart decision, and, and I like that they did it. It just makes the picture even slightly more difficult to decipher. From what we saw, one of the big stories, uh, Tony and, and Richard, of course, was the launch of um, the team Sydney, and we 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 spoke a, a number of times towards the end of last year that uh, the on again, off again team Sydney, James Courtney and now Chris Pither, with some uh, some Coke branding on the cars, um, didn't cut a lot of laps, and obviously Techno would have been incredibly stretched just to get to even get there, let alone get cars on the track. Um, there's still a lot of question marks, I guess, over just how this team will tackle the first couple of rounds in a year. Will they have the resources? Will they have the cars up to speed? Um, any 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 sort of feedback from Courtney or Pither on uh, on what they thought of it all? No, they they play, uh, played a pretty low key hand today, and uh, it it was broken that everyone knew that Scott uh, Chris Pither would be driving that second car which was Jack LeBrock's car from last year, which had no end of dramas with throughout the season. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's been a strange one, and clearly they're under the pump in that organisation, and clearly there's still a lot going on behind the scenes. But um, it just it's all felt a little bit weird in the way this has all been announced, and it sort of just dribbled out this morning, well, the morning of the test day at about nine o'clock, and there was no social post about it. It was it was sort of oh, by the way, Chris is driving the car today, and it was up to the media outlets to report it, which is fine, but. It just feels a bit loose and a bit random, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to get my head around it. And they clearly had technical issues, and th- and that car was only put together in the last couple of days before they chucked it in the truck from Brisbane to drive it down. So, yeah, strange old day. They ended up at the bottom of the timesheets again. Don't read too much into it. And and James Courtney's car is brand new from Triple uh, Eight Race Engineering, and we understand it's a very decent specification car as well, close to the factory Red Bull Holden Racing Team cars. So, I mean, that should be quick if they can engineer it properly when they get to Adelaide. But, yeah, look, Dale and Shebex, it's a weird program the way that's all unfolded. And for such a major brand to be involved, um, it feels like it's been massively underplayed so far. Now, maybe that's by choice. Maybe that's a, a strategic decision just to keep people's expectations low on where they're actually going to land. And um, so people aren't overly surprised if they qualify 20th and 21st uh, on the streets of Adelaide this weekend. But, yeah, it, it's been a strange one. It's been weird. I, I think Chris Smith is a great addition, by the way. He's a terrific driver, massively underrated. He's a Super 2 champion, for crying out loud. So he's good in these cars. I think he's a great get. Um but, yeah, just the way that's all unfolded, Chevex, is, um, is a little bit strange. Yeah, it certainly is, Richard. We saw some uh, drivers in new cars and uh, with new teams, Chas Mostert being one, of course, uh, making his way across to the Holden brand this year. And uh, he finished in seventh place. Another driver that found himself at a new team this year down at, uh, down at Tickford Racing is Jack LeBrock in the super cheap auto racing Ford Mustang. You caught up with him at the test day on Tuesday. Let's have a listen to what Jack LeBrock had to say. I'm standing with Jack LeBrock. Uh, new colours, new car, new environment. What's the vibe been on day one with Tickford Racing behind the wheel? Yeah, well, it's been awesome. It's, uh, it feels like we're coming home. It's been pretty cool. It's been a few years since we've been back here in DBS and co-driving with Cam. But yeah, it's been a good day. Look, just getting back into it. The, the cars are very different. There's, there's a lot of variables with the new era and shocks and stuff like that. So we're just trying to, trying to work through that. And, um, yeah, just getting me back up to speed where I need to be. But yeah, it's all going right so far. Pretty happy and um, yeah, we're only going to get better from here. It felt a bit like when they announced this test and that this was the first time you were getting the new damper that they were taking the mickey a bit because they send you to one of the smoothest tracks on the calendar. In two days, you're on one of the bumpiest with all of the curves in the world. So for Adelaide 500, do you get much out of today? Yeah, look, it's pretty hard. We, uh, <laughs> this morning, the guys are trying to tell us that the hits of the curves and trying to do anything to give us some feedback on what it's going to be like. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Some pretty orthodox lines around Taylor Bend. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think it's going to, like, like you say, coming here at Taylor Bend through the circuit, you don't get a really good feel on where it's at. But, yeah, Adelaide in a couple of days is going to be pretty interesting. What's the vibe on the new damper? First impressions? Uh, look, well, yeah, it's up for me. I'm sort of pairing our pairs with apples at the moment. It's uh, pretty different, but, um, yeah, look, it's, it's been good. I think the, the car's adjusting well to it. Um, yeah, I'm just going to get back into the drive of all these different cars. They're, they're very different compared to what I'm used to. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things. The more laps I do, the more days I do, it's going to get uh, better and better and more comfortable. So keep chipping away and see what we come up with. How long does that process take, do you feel? Like, will you be comfortable by practice one in Adelaide? 
will, it, will it be working into it over that weekend as well? Uh, no, I've sort of given myself a few rounds to really get stuck in my head around it. It's, uh, it's what I need to go through. Uh, go out there and do a lap of it. Uh, I've only got to go do 35 laps in Adelaide in a row. It's uh, going to be one thing. You don't really learn until you go and do it because we don't have any laps in practice. So, uh, yeah, we'll get through um, three or four rounds and then, um, yeah, reevaluate our goals and where we want to be for the rest of the year. They gave you some soft tyres for today. Did you have a chance to use them? And what were your initial thoughts about that being the race tyre here come September? Yeah, I think it was good. I, I think it's soft tyres uh, promotes better racing um, as a whole. It's, it seemed to, or does anyway, throughout the season. Um, yeah, it'd be pretty cool. I think there's a little bit more dig with it, which would uh, make it very interesting. So, yeah, hopefully we can do that because it's, uh, it's a whole lot of fun on a soft um, anywhere we go. And finally, what have you got in mind for this weekend? I mean, you said you'd take a couple of rounds to work into it, but do you have a target? Do you have a goal? Or is it just take it as it comes? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't really know where we're going to end up. It's uh, one of those tough things, I suppose. Ask me again after, after Friday after we practice. But, uh, yeah, look, we can get anywhere near top 10. I'll be, I'll be pretty happy with that because I've now got a lot more to give it um, and I get more used to the car. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just take it slowly as it comes and uh, just chip away at it. Uh, the super cheap suit you made, I like it. Yeah, I look good in red, don't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll write it. Uh, I hope it's less windy this weekend. Go well. <laughs> no worries. Thank you, mate. So there he was, Jack LeBrock, talking about his new drive for 2020. He seemed pretty excited, Richard. Yeah, good, good lad, isn't he? He's a, he's a good performer, and he's, he's becoming a really, really good media performer. He's a very engaging chat. Um, he's been on this show a couple of times over the years, and uh, we enjoy talking to him. Yeah, it, it looked, he felt relaxed, and he felt like he was really enjoying that new environment. Of course, he's been there before in Super 2, but but that was a different sort of organisation back then. So, um, yeah, really interesting day settling into the, the super cheap auto car. And I, I, you heard I joked with him at the end that he looked good in super cheap colours. He really did. It, it sort of, he just slid straight into that uh, organisation and, and did a really nice job today. So, um, yeah, I, look, I think he's going to be one of the one of the good stories of the year, I hope anyway, because he had such a wretched year last year. And we all know that he's an outrageously talented young bloke with, with a lot of ability. So, Looking forward to seeing how he plays out in that in that very interesting Tickford squad this year. And like they always are, I feel like Tickford are going to be a, a big storyline this year, one way or another. We always they're always outstanding or they're always on the other side of the ledger. And it's just got that vibe about it. But they've they've built a pretty strong race team. And it was interesting that Rusty French um chopping himself in today just to like the test to have a look and just put an appearance in. He goes back to Melbourne and then comes back for the Adelaide 500 later on. So the, the hierarchy of that team are invested. They're all there um, and they're all paying very close attention to their uh, reshaped lineup this year that includes JLB. Excellent stuff, Dale. We had a chat last week about uh, some of the launches of the cars for 2020. Your take on some of the liveries that you've seen go around today? Yes, Tony. I, I, I'd have to say, although we're great mates of Truck Assist to assist us, uh, the Truck Assist Mustang of Lee Holdsworth, I thought looked stunning. Oh, it's fantastic, uh, isn't thought- it? Andre Heimgartner's Ned car looked pretty cool too. Mm. Um, you know, you can't you can't fault the, uh, the DJR team Penske guys. That's how they look, and that's a very Penske thing. Uh, some of the others I thought looked a bit sort of uh, a few paints bits thrown at them, but uh, you know the the Tickford cars look a lot better this year than they did. Uh, but there's still a lot of there's a lot of colour on a lot of cars in pretty weird places down mm. the back of the grid. Um, certainly the uh, Kostecki Matt Stone car looked pretty sharp. 
um, as did uh, the Brad Jones cars, albeit that they've, we've seen some of Zerbys before, but some new new signage on uh, the Todd Hazelwood car. Also, Toddy did pretty well today as well. So, uh, yes, it's always for the spotters. It's always a, a bit of fun at Adelaide to uh, see just what cars what. But I think uh, for mine, uh, with no bias, it's the truck assist car for me. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually, it it's a good-looking rig and looks really nice in the in the flesh. I tell you what, they, they've got sponsorship on five cars between Truck Assist and the other NTI brands. Their mate Chris Gillespie, who heads up their marketing program, he's locked away. Uh, he's locked away almost a quarter of the field, and he's got the Winton event major sponsorship. They appear in the TV graphics on the broadcast as well. It's, they're serious yeah. investment in motorsport, which is terrific. So well done. National Transport Insurance and the Truck Assist and other brands. They, that's a terrific effort for those guys. Um, and I, I will say, the WAU cars, when they were released, I wasn't convinced. It wasn't sold on that livery. It's got a lot going on. In the flesh, bit better. And I reckon Bryce Forward's thing, with a bit of pink on it, it's actually not bad. I don't I don't hate it. I, I need to see it in a group of cars around it. It's not the best livery on the planet, but at the same time, doing what they've needed to do within their sponsorship. I don't mind it. It's a good-looking race car. The uh, the Middies Racing-sponsored car of Bryce Forward. Another team that we'll be keeping our eye on this year, because I reckon they're going to have a big year, is Team 18 and Irwin Racing. And Mark Winterbottom finishing up in ninth place. Uh, Scott Pye down in 18th, his car for the test day on Tuesday. A man that did a fair bit of driving with Mark Winterbottom over the years has uh, given co-driving away in the Enduros, but still very much a part of the Team 18 outfit. That, of course, is Stephen Richards, and he caught up with Richard at the test day on Tuesday. With Stephen Richards from Team 18, Richo, how's the new role? Yeah, it's, it's been great, mate. I've uh, been pretty, pretty busy over the last six weeks since I took on the role. Uh, it's exciting times at Team 18 at the moment with, with everything that's been going on and um, forming sort of one side of the, the, the commercial well, relationship manager is a role, but um, very much entrenched in helping Charlie with the sponsorship side of things and, um, and you know, keep, keeping him a hand in from an engineering sense, just as an observer from the outside. Yeah. So it's been good. I saw you pouring over some data before. Uh, what's the feedback from the boys being today? From We're almost at the end of this test day, and obviously it's been a massive learning day with so many variables. What's the vibe? Yeah, it has been. Um, the, the sort of vibe at the moment is the car, from a from a balance standpoint, doesn't feel a hell of a lot. Um, unlike it was here last year, the wind's playing a bit of havoc. So at a couple of places, that's 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 having an impact. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't think the cars are too. The, the guys aren't saying too much about the, um, being too dissimilar to last year, which you know that that's a good sign. Obviously, there's been a decrease in in downforce and yep. uh, and the new dampers are significantly different in terms of the way they work. So, um, and, and surprisingly, or, or not surprisingly, but um, the cars have been reasonably competitive today. So, we've had a few little dramas with Scott's car, and a lot, a lot of those are, are sort of ergon- ergonomic things specific to Scott, and also some things we need to iron out, but that's what, that's what today's about. You couldn't pick two much more different circuits than this and Adelaide in a few days. Is this a test that will actually give you more for down the road in the championship when you get to this place again and some other more fast-flying circuits rather than immediate impact this week? Yeah, I think you're right. I think this doesn't really lay a whole lot of similarities to a lot of the circuits that that we'll go to this year. So 
um, definitely will give us some good data for when we come back in, in September, yep. wherever it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going we're gonna to face a very different animal. But I mean, today for us, one, one car to two cars, nine new people in the team. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that are, that are very different for us this year, and it's just about trying to trying to roll through the day and man, manage all the little idiosyncratic differences that are that are going to um, challenge us. And what's that scaling up process been like? Has it been been a seamless experience? Yeah, oh, look, it's it's hard it's hard to find. Um, yeah, there are lots of lots of good people, but it's hard to find the right right. I guess the right fit for, 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 for what we're trying to achieve out of it. But I think we've done done pretty well, to be honest. It's always it's always it's always you know supercars looks really glamorous from the outside, and, and to a degree it is. But it's bloody hard work, and finding people that want to commit that sort of time and effort to do it with, without um, you know without without the distraction of. of of time and the hours that you have to work yep. getting on top of you. So it, it, look, it's always a challenge. As a, a group, and, and well, we're asking this going into one of the more unpredictable races of the year, but do you sit down and go and target a result or do you target a window where you want to be? What's the process from a, a collective point of view? We go, right, well, this is ideally on Sunday. If yep. we can achieve this, we'll be leaving Adelaide with a smile. Well, I think you, you you go into the weekend and you go, you know, you look at your two drives, or we've got two drives that are capable of winning the race. Yep. We've got um, the personnel involved that, that are, are capable of do, doing all the right jobs to get you to the finish line, you know, with a good strategy and set up information and get, getting the most out of the car. We've got great cars. So, yep. you know, I, I really think at the moment for us, the, the bit that's the unknown is the, is the group dynamic working together. Yep. You, you can't simulate that at the workshop. You can't. Yep. You can't go and, um, and and create it until you actually get to the track and throw yourself into various scenarios where you have to um, you really have to dig yourself out. So that that's that's where we're at. I think you know we have a, we have a great weekend. I think a top five is absolutely on the cards, and I think um, you know that that's what we'll be aiming for. But we'll we'll know there'll be plenty of curveballs thrown our way across the weekend. Um, and finally, big news this week that the Holden brand has been a intrinsic part of the Richards family motorsport story a lot of Jim's wins at Bathurst in particular came in that and, and a lot of yours as well um, what, what's your a day out what's your feeling your emotion around that that massive news yesterday oh yeah I mean it, I mean it's huge I mean it's not about um, you know motorsports one aspect of it but but Holden as a brand has become a cultural icon yeah. of Australia and I mean when you start losing that sort of um, the significant—I don't think the significance of it played out for for a couple of years to come, really. And you know, all the people, the dealer networks, the the, the generations of families that have been involved with the whole brand over over a long period of time. I mean, that's that's um, it's really game-changing, you know. I mean, I know the last five years have, have moved pretty quickly, mm. but it just goes to show, you know. I think. Um, 2007 or 8, Holden had a 21.7% market share of the of the industry in Australia. I mean, wow! How yeah. how can that how does it change so quick? So, a um, bit of an eye opener. Really, really sad. Sad for all the people involved. Yeah, no, I mean, motorsport. Yeah, we're we're sad, but but you know, you think of all the iconic cars that have come out yep. of that out of Elizabeth and out of Port Melbourne. It's part of the culture, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely, of of yeah. this and New Zealand. Yep, yep. Mm. Well, you see, you know, 
songs have been written about holes. Yes. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not sure. Pretty, pretty, um, how do you say? Not just, just distraught in some ways, you know. Flight. Not, not, yeah, not yeah. tears, but, yeah. but, but a little bit of distress there for sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your chat. Appreciate your time. Good luck with this. It's been fun watching Team 18 expand, and it's great to see teams expanding in, yeah. this, in this market and growing. So, all the very best in your new role, and hope things go well this weekend. Thanks, mate. Stephen Richards talking to Richard Quayle at the test day. And Richard, fairly emotional uh, response here at the end from Richo in regards to the whole uh, Holden situation that we learned only a couple of days ago as well. Yeah, and, and it's probably pertinent we sort of shift our attention onto that because it is one of the big stories. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest stories of the year in, in any in mainstream media, let alone the motorsport industry. And it's going to play a a significant role in how the year plays out. But I thought Richo was really eloquent about it, as he always is. He's a very, very good speaker and and media communicator is, is Stephen Richards, and he could he could easily put us out of a gig in a commentary box if he had the desire to do so. But um, just, just to touch on his role with Team 18, it was really interesting watching him work today and floating between Mark Winterbottom and Scotty Pye, who we heard on the show last week previewing their season at the launch of that two-car squad. Um, he spoke about how the team's geared up and the challenges around adding eight or nine full-time people to a, to an existing race team and a group and and trying to make that cohesive. And it was fascinating watching him in that role and then also just piling over to the data every now and then and offering some feedback on what the car's doing because he's still current, he's still relevant, he's still an up-to-speed race car driver. So I, I really think he, out of all the assets that that team has got, he's one of the the best that they have now. Um, to grow that organisation. But he spoke well about Holden and it, it played a very big role in three of his five Bathurst wins um, and, of course, a good percentage of his dad Jim Richards' Bathurst victories as well, mm-hmm. the Holden Racing Team, um, and, of course, Peter Brock, the, the hat-trick there in the uh, the late 1970s. So um, a significant uh, a significant news announcement and, and it's I'm looking forward to the discussion, Dale, especially, and you've, you followed the journey of manufacturers in the sport longer than Shebex and I, um, and that wasn't a stab at your age, though it is implied. Um, <laughs> but the, the brands come and go, but Holden just felt like they would always be there, didn't they? So even even with the brand not making cars in Australia anymore, um, they were still selling them, they were an importer. You just felt like the brand would be there one way or another, and now – now it's not, and a rivalry that has defined Australian motor racing is gone. And I think, and I'm not sure what you think, the biggest challenge that supercars face isn't working out what replaces Commodore because that will happen naturally. It'll be a Camaro or a Corvette or something like that. Um, it's re-educating a fan base who have, for the most part, been bought up on Ford v Holden, and that's no longer a thing. So my question to you is, what do they do? How do they how do they rebound from this to re-educate a fan base that's been brought up on this this tribal rivalry for the better part of sixty years? Well, it, you're right, Richard. The, the landscape has has changed already. Uh, although we will see these cars around in 2020, um, the, the, there's a couple of things, and we don't want to get an automotive discussion because that's not really our bag. But the the, the there was no doubt that the, the brand would disappear at some point in Australia. Uh, the, 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 the cars were 
not class leading cars, uh, over and above Commodore. Uh, and of course, the real reason behind this is GM's departure from right-hand drive production. So we can talk passion and we can talk everything else on the motorsport side, but there's a business reason here. They simply don't produce right-hand drive cars. Uh, well, they won't be. On the racing side, you're right. Holden have had an almost un, unstopped involvement since Harry Firth uh, burst on the scene in the 60s. Uh, they, whilst Ford floundered back and forth, they're in, they're out, they're half pregnant, they're fully pregnant, Holden continued. And they were, without doubt, the lifeblood of the sport as Ford dilly-dallied around a bit. And then we obviously went through different eras with different cars, with Group A, etc. And then... I, I guess the, the, the big announcement was Ford coming back into the sport with Mustang, and it mm. was a proper Ford effort. Just at the time when Holden were teetering a little bit, although the Commodore came. The problem that they're going to have, though, is that the Corvette will will almost certainly not fit the format of this new chassis because it's a mid-engine car. Mm. Um, Camaro is still something that the Walkinshaw organisation brings in. And the bigger issue they've got is that, that if you look back at the Nissan Altima, uh, it was a multi-million dollar investment by Nissan to put the car on the track. Ford will have spent double that on the Mustang. A team cannot homologate these cars under the current rule package. And that is the fundamental problem supercars, in my opinion, has, is that you simply, you, you might be able to go and get the IP of a Kia Stinger, albeit that car's ceasing production as well, or a Genesis, uh, and put it on the track. But the cost of homologation is simply too high. Uh, we discussed earlier in the week, Richard, about the British Touring Car Championship, which sort of is a far easier entry into the sport and lower cost entry. And I think there are lessons from these. But in terms of the tribalness of, of, the, um, of, the, of the fan base, that is probably the ultimate issue, is that you've got red and blue and you've got blue blood and red blood. And I know that you're a, you're a fierce red blood person and I'll have to sit on the blue blood side. But... It's, that is the basis of the sport. So unless there's a General Motors product of some sort on the grid, we are going to see a real change. And we, you, we look at the, one of the, the, the fascinating things is there's got to be a reason for a manufacturer to stump up to this. Not Forget the cost mm. of it. There's got to be a reason. The biggest reason that Toyota went into NASCAR racing was not because they wanted to go VR car racing. It's because they did not connect with the heartland of America. They, they connected on the western east coast, but they did not connect with the, with middle America right through the Midwest. And their research told them that brands that connect with the Midwest follow NASCAR. It's a mm. very, very simple strategy, and they've been ultra successful, and Camry's the biggest sell, one of the biggest selling cars in the States. Now, we don't have that issue here. The, the, it's very hard for a manufacturer, any manufacturer, at the moment to justify this category. And, and I, 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 that, that upsets me because it, it, it should be a walk-up start for many manufacturers. So we hope there's a General Motors product. We are hearing there are some Cadillacs flying around here at the moment with all sorts of uh, weird, wonderful plates and, and, uh, and camo on them, whether they're just using Australia as a test bed or not. But the cars will still arrive here, left-hand drive cars. But if, but if it is a General Motors product that can come in on low volume uh, and be homologated at a very, very, very low cost, then, then we can keep going. But uh, at the moment, I don't see a car on the horizon unless they can do Camaro at a very, very, very cheap homologation process that's going to fit this bill. Um, and at the moment, I don't think Walkinshaw uh, would be willing to fit the bill of homologation. They said so when they were discussing the thing with the Holden guys. So uh, a very difficult year for supercars, an incredibly difficult decision to make on just how this, this Gen, Gen 3 car works. Um, 
but it's not just having the chassis. It's about allowing an easy entry for manufacturers to either give the IP to the team to run it or to get involved themselves. And that has proven to be, in Nissan and Ford's case in the recent history, a very, very expensive exercise. Well, gentlemen, Roland Dane caught up with the media at... uh tail and bend today to talk about the situation with Holden. Let's have a listen to what he had to say and then we'll come back and have a chat about that in just one tick. Roland Dane, the uh, the owner, the team principal for Triple Eight Racing. Still, uh, still very sad at the demise of, the, of such an iconic brand, to be honest. Um, it's a shame after, yeah, if you go right back to, to the beginning, 160 years, but even in terms of being Australia's, you know, first first uh, and only homegrown car really since after World War Two. There's still plenty of history, and it's sad to see the um, the drawing to the to a conclusion of that uh, of that chapter. Well, what do you think this means for supercars in Australia? Um, it'll mean some change, uh, and uh, undoubtedly we'll see some change coming up. I'm going to tell you what that change is at the moment, but you'll see some change. Will we see the Holden brand or badge possibly change in the future? Well, the, whole, the Holden brand will disappear at, uh, by the end of this year. So we won't see, yeah, you, you might see Holdens running around in the, in the uh, lesser categories, the Super 2 category and beyond for, for some years to come. Uh, but you won't see the Holden brand uh, as a predominant brand in supercars next in 2021. So when you say that, could we still see Commodores racing in supercars next year just without the branding? Uh, yeah, conceivably, because the homologation, as it were, from supercars will be valid for several more years, uh, even after, as it always is, you know, if you remember with the, with the Falcon, even after they stopped the production of the car and its availability to the public, it carried on racing for several years. You, you'll deal with Holden's until the end of next year. Are you going to receive that support next year, or will that sort of cease at the end of this season? Yeah, I mean the ongoing situation at the moment. I'm uh, I'm meeting with GM this week, and, and we'll discuss what happens. Until until then, there's nothing more to be to be said. Really, it's a discussion between me and them. When will you be meeting with GM? This week. Sorry, I missed the start there, but did this come as a shock? Were you blindsided by this? Look, uh, the timing, uh, uh, the timing of this was uh, uh, was definitely a surprise. Um, it obviously, as a, somebody who's very aware of the of the motor industry on a on a larger uh, platform on a world basis, the the lack of sort of sort of real right-hand drive plans going ahead was a, a concern. But there was, a, uh, you know, there were some new models that. Um, were in the pipeline from what we could see which gave us reassurance but um, it is what it is it's you know we're a very small market in Australia uh, and uh, competing for the attention against um, much, much bigger markets so the decisions that affect the car industry on a wider basis are not made in Australia you know they're made in in, in Japan or they're made in Detroit or they're made in, in Germany. Roland how much do we need manufacturer support or can we go to a more NASCAR sort of style where it's not about that win on Sunday, sell on Monday mentality that now seems outdated? Well NASCAR has an incredible amount of manufacturer support and they're actually making their cars more and more like ours uh, to try and have the recognition of the 
uh, of the vehicle that um, is closer to, to that which people buy. So that's not a good um, that's that's not not a good comparison to be honest. Um, we we want to carry on racing cars that represent um, what the Australian public has shown they they enjoy watching, which are supercars, latterly Australian touring cars over over 60 odd years, and we've and we've got to keep uh, delivering. Uh, A product along those lines, and I think collectively as a category, we will. Well, what sort of car models would be suitable to? Ah, look, who knows? There, there are plenty of possibilities out there. I'm not going to speculate on what those are today. Have you? I'm not going to speculate what those are. Have you spoken to your team and the drivers? What have their reactions been? Yeah, no, I, I had very little chance to talk to them, to be honest, because most of them are travelling yesterday uh, d down here. But uh, I've certainly made them aware of what's going on, and um, I hope they believe in me, uh, and they'll wait and wait and see what happens. What's the morale like going into the Adelaide race? Good, good. I mean, we're a race team. We've uh, try and do our work properly as a, as a race team, like all the other ones up and down here, and we crack on with the job in hand. What's your early um, indications today? How's it all going? Oh, it, honestly, it's impossible to tell because there are uh, teams using, you know, we're using different timing points to other people, uh, etc. So uh, there, there won't be any conclusions really from today about performance. You'll see it. You'll see it the oh, not only over this coming weekend but over the next three weekends where everyone is. The Holden versus Ford rivalry has sort of been the corner of stone of this sport for a very long time. Yeah. Do you expect that the support for the category will suffer without Holden there? Uh, not if we do uh, collectively as, as the category um, uh, do our work properly. And I think that we can we can still provide the excitement and the uh, honestly the show that, that people have come to expect over over many years. And unfortunately, you know, one of the issues is an awful lot of people who've been barracking for for the Holden brand over the last uh, ten years or so haven't actually been buying the product. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, and so uh, it's a fact of life that a lot of people have been turning up to watch the races in other brands. So um, it's something we're all we're all very aware of. So you know, times change, and we've got to change with them. I'm not going to speculate on what we're doing next season at the moment. What does this mean for Gen Three? Uh, yeah, again, I'm not going to comment on that until we've uh, till we've sat down and analysed it all with supercars. So, your suggestions to supercars about what where Gen 3 should go? No, not necessarily. We'll we'll wait and see how it all how it all comes together in the in the coming days. And I know you're meeting with GM next week. Is there anything you're going to no, put I forward? No, I said I'm meeting with them this week. This week? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you're going to put forward to them? That's, with them? <laughs> that's for me and them to know. This is on the grid on mypodcasthouse.com. Well, there he is, Roland Dane, talking about the, the Holden situation. So a couple of things that I take out of that, guys, and I'll get your thoughts on it. One, of course, he spoke there in regards to homologation, as you were just saying, Dale, and he mentioned the fact that the Falcon still was very much a part of the homolog oh, start again, <laughs> homologated product in supercars, even though Ford left the arena 
a couple of uh, years before that. And, of course, they've come back in now with the Mustang. So I think from what Roland may have been saying there was we can probably still expect to see the Commodore unbadged for at least the next two to three years, I would have thought. Well, well, no, I don't think we will. We'll see it next year. I've got no doubt that the ZB will continue to 21. But but 22 is the introduction, slated introduction of Gen 3, of this new platform. Now, the whole idea of Gen 3 is to change the architecture of the car so it better fits, potentially, a coupe body. So it can fit a Ford Mustang rather than what they had to do with the Mustang on the current chassis, which was designed around a four-door saloon race car and all this we've talked about before. Um, so, yeah, you can run your ZBs for season 2020. You can run them next year if you want, if you don't have a budget to upgrade. So so maybe Roland does a deal and runs a Camaro next year. Let's say that's what he's done. Um, then that's fine. That's completely up to him. He can homologate that and run it. The other teams can still run ZBs if they want take the Holden badge off, put an Erebus badge on the front. They've done that before. Um, and away you go. Not a problem. Um, but 22, it has to be clean sheet because this whole new set of regs is either going to fundamentally change the current chassis and enable them to be modified or require all new cars to be developed to suit what could be a very different body shape and style of racing car. Um, but I agree with what Dale was saying. They have to get this, this now – without the the security of knowing that Holden, as tenuous as their grip on the market was, that security of knowing that they're in the sport is gone. So this next set of rules has to nail it. They have to get it right and they have to reduce the costs of entry and forget about attracting manufacturers. Don't worry about it. What you've got to attract, as Dale touched on, is the BTCC model, which isn't perfect, and that model certainly wouldn't work here in terms of those kind of cars, because Australians don't want to watch two-litre touring cars in great numbers. A small portion of them do, and TCR is growing, and that's brilliant. But they want big, loud V8 touring cars and that because that's the culture and that's, that's what the sport has been brought on. So you've got to find a way where Brad Jones Racing can go to Kia and go, hey, guys, um, we'd love to run a Stinger or a Hyundai Genesis. We'd love to run that. Um, it's not going to cost you a cent. We just need your permission and Kia go or Hyundai go, yeah, that's brilliant. No worries. Here's the here's the design template for the body. Um, here's the badges. Oh, we might throw you some road cars as well because that'll be a bit of fun. Um, and away they go. But they need to be able to develop that without it costing them $5 million, which is what it costs at the moment to develop a car. Um, that's the biggest barrier, and that's why they've got to get it right. The other thing I wanted to touch on, and forgive me ranting a little bit, uh, <laughs> is that this couldn't have happened at a worse time for supercars because they're barreling into a new TV rights deal. The current deal is up at the end of this year. There's enormous pressure on the TV rights market at the moment um, with pay TV in particular looking at culling major sports and, and reducing their rights spend and how much they invest in securing broadcast rights. And Rugby Union is at the forefront of that in a very public stoush in the media at the moment, which is which has been pretty nasty between the Australian Rugby Union and uh, and Fox Sports, um, all of a sudden supercars lose this Holden v Ford thing, and I wonder what impact that might have in the discussions that Sean Seymour, the CEO, is trying to have with Fox and with Channel Seven and with Channel Ten and Channel Nine. I would imagine are in the party as well. 
um, for the next lot of TV rights deal, which is fundamentally critical to the health of supercar racing because that's what underpins the financial security of the sport. So for this to happen at the start of the year, it's a bad thing. Now, I don't think for a second that Holden – time this to go, oh, we're going we're gonna to lump this on these idiots at the start of the Adelaide 500, one of the biggest weeks of the year. That had nothing to do with it, but um, the timing wasn't terrific, and uh, that's just another hurdle that the sport's got to jump over and, and work their way forward. Yeah, it certainly is, Richard. There's no doubt about that, and I think Roland even said that uh, in his press conference here, that the timing wasn't perfect, and unfortunately what it's going to do is it's going to take a lot of the gloss of what does happen in the streets of Adelaide this weekend as uh, people are trying to get answers as to the future of the sport. Dale, well, just one, fun, sorry, go ahead. Just, just quickly, just quickly, Shebex, there are a couple of things. Roland implied that there was very much a plan, and, and we all know Roland Dane. He will have thought about this, and I'm sure there's a plan B, at least for Triple Eight Race Engineering. Um, and he sort of implied that we'll, we've, we're working on things. We're not, we're not going to announce them now. So I, I've got no doubt that they're they're thinking about things, and and that any good business would do that. And they're a very good business and a very good race team. So that's one. The other thing I just wanted to to say is that let let's hope that somehow, rather than this being a wake, this year can be a celebration. It needs to be a celebration of Holden's critical role in building Australian motor racing. So so Bathurst this year needs to be all about Holden. We need to get every Brock, Commodore and Tirana out there. We need to get as many Holden racing team cars, former winners, former drivers, LP, Richo, all of them, get them all there and just make it a celebration because the sport wouldn't be where it is without either of or and B, the long-term financial and marketing and heartland investment that came from General Motors Holden in the sport. So I just hope above anything and and as a as someone who got into the sport because he was a Holden fan as a kid I hope that's the outcome of this year and I hope that it can be turned into a celebration rather than a funeral yeah well put well put uh Dale just a quick one for you before we move on from this topic uh the emotion Uh, that has been centered around this have can you understand how strong it's been Oh, absolutely, Tony. The, 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 you know, the tribal nature of this sport is, is, is at the fore at the moment. I think the sad thing is, though, is that, that Holden, in a lot of cases, or General Motors, have been criticised for you know, running away. Um, as I said before, they don't have a car to sell in, in, in the coming years. So no matter, no matter what the passion is saying, and, I, and I, I, you, know, you, see, you hear and read the passion, I, Mark Scopes in the paper this morning saying he was almost in tears, and you, you, as, as someone who's been in the sport a long time, you do get it. It is an incredibly passionate sport. Uh, it's right up there with with the best of the football codes. And, but there, there is a lot of lot of sound, there's a lot of unfortunate business behind this. This is not a dump and run. And I think some people just got to accept that that whether it was 2020 or 2023, uh, the surprise is at the speed at which it's happened uh, at the beginning of 2020. But uh, it's inevitable, and, and mm-hmm. I, I had a, a discussion with a, a very good colleague of mine in the auto industry for the next five years and said that uh, uh, Ford would be in great shape and Holden would be a basket case. They probably would have locked you up. 
Uh, and yet, that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> no, exactly right. Uh, boys, let's finish up uh, quickly with a uh, look at the start of the NASCAR season for 2020 also. Dale, you were our uh, eyes on the screen today. It was a great win by Downey Hamlin, but she was, there was some massive prangs, uh, including the one for Ryan Newman, which has him in a serious condition, but non-life-threatening injuries. Yeah, it was interesting. I, what I, I was only watching it just uh, passing on NASCAR.com, but uh, what I couldn't believe for these cars this year was that there is a new aero kit on them. Uh, obviously, the speeds are always around that 200 miles an hour plus at Daytona, but I've not seen them bump drafting in corners before. And, and this was just wild. You'll always see them on the back, particularly on the back straight where they'll push and you'll get a row of cars running up inside the other ones. But these guys were, were absolutely banging into their back, back bumpers in the corners and the overhead shot, you could see the tracking shot uh, down the, both the trival and the bit rear straight was just showing how sketchy these cars were. They were moving around a couple of feet behind each other. So the, the aggression was extraordinary. And obviously it's a first race of the new aero kit on a super speedway. Um, but the accidents came thick and fast in the last uh, 15 or 20 laps. And, uh, uh, Ryan Blaney, uh, you know, it, it was one of those classic Daytona or Super Speedway accidents. Uh, it was all it was all or nothing on the final uh, the final couple of laps. And um, uh, you know, Ryan Newman, uh, who's a veteran, there was looking at a Daytona 500 win. Blaney went down, he went down, and inevitably it, it happened. And uh, at 200 plus clicks, um, that was a very very mm. violent accident. And uh, it went. It basically it went the whole width of the trival. And, and Richard, you've been there. You've seen that. You've seen the place. And uh, uh, it was a wild one. And probably thankful the car didn't keep barrel rolling because actually once it's once it actually slid on its on its side and roof, it uh, it dissipated an enormous amount of energy. But Daytona never fails to turn it on. Um, you know, <laughs> Donald Trump was there. Air Force One was there. You know, it's just it's one of the great shows in the world. And uh, yeah, I thought it's going to run you, but uh, you know, Toyota uh, cleaned up. It was all Ford behind that, and Chevy were nowhere. Yeah, they certainly were. Uh, boys, very much looking forward to catching up with you in Adelaide this weekend. Richard, uh, as the mayor of Adelaide, I know you'll welcome us with your <laughs> arms wide open. Yeah, uh, yeah, gift baskets at the airport, uh, complimentary bottle of Barossa Valley Shiraz, uh, all the usual stuff that we put on. Uh, for all of our visitors here in South Australia, um, that may or may not be accurate. Um, no, look, it's such a cool event. I can't it wait. Is. And it's a cool way to start start the year proper um, for the, the Supercast Championship at the very least. And all of the support program as well, Super 2 is on the card. Porsche Pace Carrera Cup is going to be enormous this year. And the depth of that field is outstanding. Um, and the list goes on. The jumpy trucks are back as well, which is great. So, it's a cool way to start the year, and we roll straight into the Grand Prix after that. So, big start to the season. Looking forward to it. We'll be on the ground, and next week we'll come back with a bit of a debrief, and we'll uh, find out what's going on. Now, what we need to do, as per tradition, we need to let people know where to find us for a beer. Uh, we started this at the Gold Coast ah, yes. last year. Um, it's Mark Walker's fault, but um, we, we started the tradition. Come and find us on a Friday night. And if you say, I listen to On The Grid or I read the racetalk.com, we'll buy a beer. Simple as that. It's going to get very expensive at some point, we know, but uh, we're happy to cop that. So I'm thinking Cooper's Ale House, Pulteney Street in the city, Friday night. That's the location. Beautiful. Uh, if, if you want an and beer, singular, 
PS, one per person, uh, come and say, I listen to On The Grid, uh, tell us what we talked about this show or something like that to prove it, and uh, we will buy you a beverage responsibly, of course. Exactly. Thank you, Bex. I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to tell Richard what I, I, I listen, write, and uh, and talk on the radio and see if we buy me one. Yeah, I'm no, sure, uh, I'm sure staff, we won't recognise you. can't apply. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right, boys. Uh, see you there in a couple of days' time. Fantastic work, and uh, look forward to previewing it all next week. Cheers, boys. going to be big. Good on Thank you, Richard. You. Good see on you, then, Dale. Guys. Another episode of On The Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. We'll catch you again next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com.